Well, turn in your Bibles this morning to Second uh, Chronicles. I'm going to share a scripture with you that I'm sure many of you heard many times. Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse fourteen. Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The title of the message is Healing Our Land. Now let's just analyze this verse here as we get into it. Actually, before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing over this Word. Father, I come to You right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask that You bless this Word today that it would begin to just touch someone's heart as now as it goes forth. And I ask that You give me the words to say, that You would let Your anointing rest upon me today, Lord, that I may speak boldly as I ought to, and that it would be clear and understandable for anyone that's here to hear it today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at this scripture. There's several elements of this verse that I want to discuss with you today. The first thing I want to talk about is, you know, you can break this one particular verse up into two categories. There's some requirements and then there's some results. And the requirements are humbleness, prayer, seeking His face, and turning from wicked ways. And the results from those actions are forgiveness of sin and healing of our land. Now, how does this apply today? I realize this scripture was penned, you know, many thousands of years ago. But how does what does it mean for us today? Obviously, we don't have the same type of government in place. We don't have the same type of uh, situations that are. Uh, occurring on a daily basis, but you know the word tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. It tells us that God never changes, and His word is eternal. So it has to have a meaning that we can draw from this, that we can use in our life. So, what do you think that is? How does how does it apply? You know, this scripture seems to be more about a national healing and repentance of sin. There's not much that I, myself, or you can do to bring about national repentance. One person is not going to make that kind of a change. But do you know that you can have an impact in your own area? And not even just this town, but you can have an impact in in the people's lives that you encounter. And you know, as this, as God spoke to Solomon and, and told him that if these people would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek His face, He said that He would heal their land. He said that He would forgive them of their sins. But that you have to, you have to make a change. There has to be a turning away 
from those things for that to come to pass. As I was reading this scripture and thinking about it, I was looking at at our area here, the, this little county that we live in, the town that we live in, and it's it's a small place in terms of our entire nation and even in terms of the world. But as I read this scripture, I began to realize that God was trying to put not only a thought, but a desire within Solomon to see this change come about. So I have to believe that God is interested in seeing our land healed. And I'm not talking about trees and and rain and dirt. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about the people that are in the land. I'm talking about their, their lives being changed. God is interested in seeing change come about in these people. But I want you all to look at the first words in this verse. It says, If my people who are called by my name... Listen, God is not talking to, to sit to people that are not Christians. He's talking to His people. He said, If they will turn from their wicked ways... He's not talking about those that are on the outside. He's talking about the inside. He's going to deal with the home camp first. How can you expect to have an impact on anybody when you ain't got your own business in line? So he's talking about his people. You know, the sad part is is that there's plenty of people that call themselves by his name. that this Scripture applies to greatly. They need to turn from their wicked ways. But they still try to go under the name of Jesus. Now why should we be interested in God healing our land? You know, these questions that I'm posing to you today, this is things that I thought of in terms of myself as I was preparing this. Why should I be interested in God healing our land? How does that affect me? Why do I care? Well, I've told you all many times over the past few weeks that that we need to have compassion for other people. We need to be concerned for other people, Christians and non-Christians. We need to have a love and desire to see them saved, and see them to be brought into that marvelous light that the Word tells us about. We need to have a desire to see people come into the kingdom of God. There is a judgment day coming. If you look in the book of Joshua, you'll see that it records events that transpired that uh, the Israelites went into the promised land. And what did they do? They had to fight. Why did they have to fight? Because there were people there that were not God's people. And I don't just mean that they weren't chosen by God. I mean, they lived, their life was in, in, in direct opposition to what God's ordinances were. They were wicked people. And I believe if you did some studying, you would find that the Word shows you that that the cup of iniquity was full. 
and that there was a time for judgment. And the Israelites were the instrument that God chose to use in that judgment. You know, we look at that and we think, well, why was it okay for them to go in and kill all these people? Well, understand that they were under the leadership of God. And when God uh, does something like that, it's perfectly just. This isn't just random acts of, of murder. This isn't uh, unorchestrated or anything. He, he had a specific purpose in mind. And the, like I said, that cup of iniquity was full. He had given them enough time. The Word says that God is long-suffering. So this wasn't something that just came about because they decided to sin one time. No, it was, it was time. That judgment day had come. Y'all bear with me. It's, it's going to make sense in a minute. The cup of iniquity was full. If we're truly God's people, and we're called by His name, we ought to have enough compassion for other people to want to see God heal our land. You look at this example I've given you with the Israelites going into the land of Canaan, and you see that these people were already at the judgment day. But you know, that is not the case for everybody today. There's still time. The cup of iniquity is not full yet. Oh, it will be. There's going to come a day, and you know, you you can look around and you see natural disasters, and some people say, well, that's God's judgment on those people. Well, I don't know. I'm not going to say that. I don't know what, what God's thoughts are. I know that if you look at the nation today, you look at this country and you compare it to when it started, that we're a whole lot further gone than we were then. I know that there that iniquity abounds everywhere you turn, you see it. That ought to be enough right there to make you say, we need God to heal our land. That ought to be enough to kind of wake you up without even going any further and say, we need God to make a change. But you know what? God don't do that on His own. And I ain't trying to say God needs our help, but you know, God chooses to work through us. Just as He chose to use the Israelites as His instrument of judgment, He chooses to work through us in a way that, that we can be the ones that reach people. Not under our own power, but under His guidance and under the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's Him working through us that reaches people and makes change. But if we never seek His face, if we ourselves never turn from our wicked ways and, and ask for forgiveness and begin to try, to try to see God heal our land, you know, you have to ask Him before He's going to do it. If you never begin to seek God and, and ask Him to heal your land, if you never have the compassion and desire in your heart 
to want to see a change, why would you expect Him to do it? You know, we sit around and we want to complain all the time and say, man, this country is just... Just it's, it's terrible. I don't understand what's going on. Why is everybody acting so bad? But yet at the same time, we want to just come to church and go home. We're not interested in seeing anything really change ourselves. We think somebody else is going to do it. We think the next person we vote for it must have the magic cure. You know, there were people all through time in positions of leadership that were corrupt. That's just the nature of the beast. You give some people power, they're going to abuse it. That's just the way it is. And it seems to be that for some reason, those people that get in power are really good at that. That's how they got there. That's not coincidence. They know how to manipulate. They know how to work the system. And they excel at it. When you're dealing with that, you know, the Word tells us to be in subjection to our government. We talked about this in Sunday school. But it doesn't tell us to live contrary to God's Word. And you know... As we, as you start thinking about this scripture today and thinking about praying and asking God to heal the land, that's the people you need to be praying for. That's the people that, that can make a national change. That's the kind of people that, that can bring about enough change that will have the entire country repent and turn from their wicked ways. I know you're not going to have 100%. I'm not stupid. But I don't think the majority that we used to have is the majority anymore. I think there's a a minority now of of Christian people. True, listen, true Christian people. Oh, there's plenty of people that go to church on Sunday. But going to church on Sunday never did anything for anybody if there ain't something to back it up. Going to church on Sunday is not a country club. It is for some people. They think that if I show up and I make an appearance, then people will still think I'm called by His name. It doesn't matter how I live my life the rest of the week, but I was there on Sunday. That ought to give me some points. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Now listen to this. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All. It didn't say all white people. It didn't say all heterosexuals. It didn't say all of those that don't have drug addictions. He said, everybody. God loves all. How do you feel about those people? The drug addicts. The homosexuals. How do you feel about them? I'll tell you how I feel about them. I don't like being around them. 
but that ain't the way I need to treat them. Just because I feel uncomfortable doesn't mean that I should shun them. Because listen, if anybody needs Jesus and needs change in their life, it's them. If our land is going to be healed, that affects them. They're a part of that land. It's hard to pray for people that make you feel uncomfortable, ain't it? It's hard to want to see, uh, want to try to reach those kind of people, ain't it? Because when you're around them, it's uncomfortable. But I want to tell y'all something today. If you're comfortable in who you are, and you know what the Word says, and you know how God feels about them, it's a whole lot easier when you come in contact because you're not looking at them on their outward appearance. Listen, Jesus, the Word says that He is not concerned with outward appearance. He's concerned with what's on the inside, and He cares about every soul. He created them. Now, I know what the Word says about homosexuality. But I'm here to tell you today that some of those people don't know who Jesus is. Some of those people may have never even heard of what what and who Jesus is. They may have heard the name, but the name is not all. Somebody has to tell those people about Him. And if you think in this little small town in East Texas that... There are no homosexuals and there are no drug addicts. We don't have that issue here. You're sadly mistaken. Sadly mistaken. If if, if some of you went to the school during the week and just sat down and watched what goes on, you would probably just want to go home and lock the doors and hide. And I say that as serious as I can. Those kids at that school up there, because of the way they're raised, they don't, they don't know what's going on. The last time I preached, I talked to you about a scripture that says, they know not at what they stumble. They're in darkness. The light has got to be shined on them. We have got to be in prayer, not only for our country, but for our town, for our county. That, that there would be a holy people that would rise up and say, enough is enough. Amen. Listen, there is, there is a point of judgment. There's a point where there is no more opportunity for forgiveness. But there, before that, there ought to be a point where Christian people say, I'm tired of putting up with this. I'm tired of letting the devil win. And yes, I said letting him win. Because that's the only way he wins. When we let him. This isn't the kind of struggle that you might have, you know, if you had two people go to a boxing match, you don't know who's going to win. Even if the odds are stacked in favor of one person, you just don't know what's going to happen. Somebody might land a lucky punch. It's not like that. We serve the all-powerful God. He has all power. He has all glory. 
Listen, there is no competition between him and Satan. That's who we serve. And, and if Satan wins the battle, it's because we let him. It's because we sat on our hands and watched it happen. We sat back and didn't claim it for the kingdom of God. We sat back and decided we're not going to fight today. We're going to rest. And when that happens, people perish. The word we read says that it is not His will that any should perish. That should be how you feel. You know, there's been a time in my life where I was perfectly willing to just let a homosexual go about their way. There's been a time in my life when I could care less about having anything to do with somebody that's on drugs. And you know, that's something I still deal with. But I know I'm not supposed to feel that way. That is, it's natural. I didn't say it was right, I said it's natural. But we know about the natural man. What we need to be concerned about is the spiritual man. My spiritual man just just wants to cry and say, God, they need help. Listen, this scripture we've read today is an answer to Solomon's prayers. God came to him and said, listen, if you will have these people turn from their wicked ways, come back to me, I'll heal their land. Notice that this takes effort. This is something you have to do actively. It's not not something that just happens. There's a whole lot of that today. People want things to just kind of happen and take care of themselves. This is not a microwave dinner. It takes preparation. Turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, starting verse 1. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. Let's, Let's turn this around a little bit. What Jesus is really saying, and you know the English here is different because it's old. What he's really saying is that you suppose that the Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans. Verse 3 says, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He goes on to say in verse 4, Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You know, we look at at these hurricanes and like Rita and uh, Katrina and how they just 
destroyed New Orleans. And we all want to sit there and say, oh, well, those people deserve it. I tell you what, New Orleans, that's just the most sinful city. You just wouldn't believe what goes on there. You know, Jesus didn't deny that these things didn't happen as judgment. He didn't say they did or didn't. But what He did say, I want you to notice, is that if you don't change your ways, you're bound for the same judgment. Now that ought to make somebody sit up and listen. What he's trying to tell you is that you're no better than they are. You know, there's only one thing that makes me even have a hope of being better. And it's that I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Other than that, there is no difference in me and them. I may just be a little further along, but... Before I received Jesus, I was the same. I'm a sinner bought with a price. That price paid for my sins. It's been paid for them too. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't a a selection kind of thing. He didn't just do it for the handful. He did it for all. Understand that. All that sin is paid for. But they have to accept it. They gotta know. Somebody has to tell them. Somebody has to fulfill that great commission and go and share with them. Somebody has to be willing to to spend some time praying. There ain't enough praying going on, and I'll be the first one to admit I don't I don't pray enough. I don't spend enough time on my knees crying out to God for for somebody that's lost. I don't spend enough time on my knees concerned for somebody's soul. Man, there's, there's family members I need to be praying for and, and seeking God and sharing with them about, about the glorious kingdom of God, and I'm not. You know, this falls under that turn from your wicked ways. To me, that's wicked. To try to hang on to this little thing I got and not try to share it with somebody. It's it's wicked to not want to see them come to the kingdom of God. It's wicked to not be concerned and have compassion and love for them. Verse 6, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on the fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why encumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. You know, we need to be like this dresser of the vineyard. Why? He pleaded the case of this fig tree. Now, this is just a story that Jesus was telling. He was using this as an example. And I'm sure it went right over some people's heads. But what I want you to see is this fig tree wasn't producing any fruit. 
And most people would walk up to this thing and say, man, I've been here, I don't know how many times, and I've never gotten anything good out of it. I've known this person all my life, they've never done anything good. Well, they might as well just put him in jail. They might as well just go ahead and put him to death because he ain't ever done nothing for nobody. But that dresser of the vineyard said, Now hold on, Lord. Give me a chance. He said, Let me dig around it. Let me stir this earth up a little bit. And let me fertilize it. Let me feed this thing some and see if we can't get something good to come out of it. When was the last time you prayed like that for somebody? When was the last time you cared anything about somebody else enough to, to pray for them? Knowing, knowing there ain't nothing good in them. Knowing if they saw you on the side of the road, they'd probably just as soon shoot you when they went by as to stop and help you. But this dress of the vineyard, he said, no, let me, let me see what I can do. Let me work on this thing a little. Give me a chance. When was the last time you asked God to give you one more chance to help somebody else? Uh, we ask all the time for chances for ourselves. But when did you ask for a chance for somebody else? I'm going to tell you, it's been a long time since I have. There's just not, there's not enough concern. We got everything we need. We know where we're going. Well, what else do we need to worry about? Oh yeah, I, I try to teach my kids. When one of them gets saved, I rejoice. But what about their friends? What about those kids at the school that don't even have a mama and daddy? What about the ones that their mama and daddy so strung out on dope that they don't even know when their kid gets up and goes to school? What about the ones that doesn't have anybody shining some light into their life? They don't know a better way. They don't even know that what they're doing is sending them to hell. What about those people? And most of y'all are going to go home today Y'all are going to probably take a nap like I am. You might get up and come to church later on or go somewhere else. You might not. Not here to discuss that today. A week from now, you may not even remember this sermon was preached. Why? Well, because our lives are busy. we just got so much to do. There's so much going on. But I guarantee you, before you leave this world, you're going to run into somebody and they're going to need you. They may not ask you for help. They may not even speak to you. But you're going to recognize at some point that there is a person that needs me intervening for them. Listen, this, this is a life and death struggle. You already know where you're at. There's probably not a person in this room today that's not saved. I can't speak for, for what your relationship with God is, but most everybody here today is a Christian. But they're not. 
They don't know they're going to hell. Somebody's got to show them. Somebody's got to tell them. Somebody's got to try to dig around the roots and and fertilize and, and feed it. Now, if the things still don't produce fruit, at least you did your best. At least you tried to give them another chance. Instead of just letting the thing die. You've got to at least try. There's a lot of you that are going to sit around and say, well, somebody else will do that. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. And I promise you those that will are going to receive a blessing. They're going to receive a reward. Now, maybe it's okay with you that you don't receive a reward. Maybe it's okay with you that God doesn't bless your life and work in your family, and provide for you. But it's not okay with me. It's not okay. I want want God in my life. I want Him present and active. I want to nurture that relationship with Him. Because I depend on Him on a daily basis. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that this is a way to to force God to do what you want to do. But if you're part of His kingdom, if you're one of His children, there ought to be some attributes and traits that are being developed in you. What is that? If you call yourself a Christian, that means Christ-like. You ought to be taking on the characteristics of Jesus. Jesus had love for people. It takes work to impact and influence people's lives. That doesn't just happen. I hope this was kind of a wake-up call for somebody today. I know it is for me. I don't, y'all may be sitting there and doing everything right. I don't know. But I know God needs to speak to me about this this morning. Y'all may have it all under control. I hope you do, man. Don't go down this road if you don't have to. You know, I, I see some people that are just good at talking to people. It, it's not a problem for them to just walk up and start to share about Jesus. Some people just have this natural uh, ability to just converse. I don't have that, man. It is a struggle. I don't even people I know sometimes we'll just sit, we'll just sit there and look at each other because I don't know what to say. I don't know, you know. I just don't have a lot of good stories. Some people just have stories. I don't. But when you know something good, the times that I've been around somebody, something exciting has happened in my life. Oh man, we can sit down and I can just talk and talk and, and tell them about all this stuff that's going on and, and man, I just got a new car or we did, went on a vacation, did this and that or whatever it might be. I don't have a problem talking. And you know that's because there's, there's these fresh experiences. There's these things that have really impacted me recently that I can share. 
You ought to be having experiences like that with God. You ought to be looking for what is God doing in my life and then when you find something, hang on to it and share it with people. Tell them about God. Tell them about You say, man, I don't know what to say when I'm talking to somebody. It's because you hadn't thought about it. When you spend some time thinking and forming thoughts and, and saying, what am I going to say when they say this? What am I going to say when they question the deity of Jesus? What do I, I mean, you can't base it all on Scripture either. I'm going to promise you, some people are just going to look at you like, okay, well, yeah, the Bible's going to support itself. Scripture ain't all of it. You need to have some Scripture. But you better have some personal experiences to back that up. You better be able to tell them how God has helped you. How He's moved in your life. You know, you can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray till you're blue in the face. That was not the only requirement we talked about earlier. you look back at that scripture, it was the second requirement of four. The first one was humble yourself. The word says don't think higher of yourself than you ought to. Compare yourself to that sinner you're praying for and say, you know what, I'm really not that much better than they are. If it weren't for the grace of God, I might be in the same place or even worse. Humble yourself. And then pray. Seek His face. Turn from your wicked ways. You think, well, I'm a Christian. What wicked ways do I have to turn from? I guarantee you, you got some. I know I do. I've got plenty of stuff in my life that just flies in the face of everything God stands for. You think, well, you're a preacher. You don't have any any major issues. Well, they may not be major to you, but they're major to me. And they're, they're, they're dividing me from God when they come up. 